Welcome to Cracking Charity Chat, learning from the leaders with me, Beth Crackles. This is episode 16 and I'm chatting with Simon Scriver from Change Fundraising. We chat about small charity fundraising, engaging the whole organisation in fundraising, this notion of everybody being a hashtag proud fundraiser and conveying that fundraising is really about building relationships as opposed to solely making the ask. We get a bit philosophical talking about corporate fundraising and the need to develop propositions that support corporate's objectives and somewhat controversially we talk about convention refreshments. I hope you enjoy listening. Hello, Simon. Hello, Beth. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. In my jammers with a beer. It's gone eight o'clock in the evening. That's fine, isn't it? Well, it's the future of working, isn't it? We're all in pyjamas. Flexible working, yeah. Yeah. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good, yeah. School holidays, um, which are a bit of a pain, but besides that, everything's going all right. Do you have the competitive parenting group that's like oh gosh I'm only going to be able to feed my children whatever this week and oh we're just doing some boring things like throwing together some crafts and then holding a party for the school year I mean that that circles around me but I I think I'm clearly like an outsider in in the parent groups I have a mutual friend of one of my son's classmates parents and the mutual friend was saying that they said I was a bit weird (laughs) uh, it's happened to us all not in a bad way, but just like I don't fully commit myself to the parent groups. I'm trying really hard though to be like a normal, upstanding person. I've even like started using gifts in the WhatsApp group. Oh, nice! To be like, you know, look, I'm a real human. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very hard. Cool. Oh, we haven't even done the introduction, right? So we're going to do this new introduction. You're going to say Simon is, and I'm going to mm-hmm. try and introduce you. Are you ready? Simon is a fundraising consultant and internationally renowned speaker. I feel, I feel like this is, you're trolling me and I'm going to be like, Simon is, and you're just going to be an asshole. <laughs> no. Okay, Simon is an innovator with concepts like fundraising everywhere and fundraising escape room. Wow, am I an innovator? Fantastic. Uh, more, Simon is an introvert that does public speaking as a profession. What? <laughs> Simon is uh, a piss taker on Twitter. Um, I don't know if that's fair. How, but... how many cows are there in the world? I mean, that's a genuine question. <laughs> Simon is a person that wears T-shirts to important conferences. I've noticed. Uh, well, sometimes I do wear a suit. Okay. But um, yeah, yeah, I admit that's true. Uh, Simon is not a food critic, but has a wealth of experience with regards to fundraising conference food. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that. Simon is super well clued up about small charity fundraising and is going to tell us about how to do it really well. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want listeners to know? Uh, no, I mean, I think anything that comes up will be good but you've um you've covered a lot I've actually I had actually forgotten some of that stuff so that's good yeah good what I want to know is what's the link with Canada you seem to be like doing doing stuff in Canada and you go over to conferences and Canada's far how does that happen to be honest it all, I think it really came about through Twitter um as a lot of my career has and um, for some reason, I just fell onto the onto the timeline of a few Canadians years ago, and I ended up following a lot of Canadians because Canadian fundraising is quite interesting. And um, 
someone someone liked my tweets and they ended up essentially pushing for me to speak at one of the Canadian conferences. And so kind of Twitter got me that first foot over there. And then when people, for some reason, when people see me speak, they have a tendency to ask me to speak again or they want to work with me. And now it's just kind of perpetuated and I just keep getting invited back. And I, and I love it. And if, if I didn't, if I could move, I would move to Canada. I would go live in Canada for a bit. I would love that. But I can't. I can't. I'm tied to Ireland. Yeah. Um, but I love it. I love Canada. And the Canadians are just like insanely nice. It's so much fun. Cool. Okay. Right. One of the things we're going to talk about is um, small charity fundraising. I came to your session at IOF Yorkshire back in May. And I think it was called, what are your donors going through? I remember it being quite funny. Oh, and educational and inspiring and all of that as well but um yeah <laughs> backtrack <laughs> um but there were loads of tips for smaller organizations so I like your um your live telephone call that you do yeah that's fun um so yeah in I, I do it in a, actually I do it in lots of different sessions I do it whenever I can possibly shoehorn in because it's always really fun and we basically we get a volunteer from the audience to volunteer their charity that will phone them up and make a donation. And we put it through the PA system. We put it through the speaker system so everyone can hear person on the other end, which is a bit, a bit weird sometimes. Um, but it's, it's really interesting because people in the audience, most people don't won't volunteer themselves because they're too afraid. Um, but people in the audience generally don't know who's going to pick up the phone or what they're going to say, or, you know, what's going to happen. And obviously, as fundraisers, we're like pushing people to give us money all the time. We're like trying to get, like get people to talk to us, and then we just kind of hand over this control to the rest over the organization who goes and and maybe messes it up. And and when we do that live phone call, the majority of people do it badly, you know, or don't mm. do it very well, you know. And and there's a lot of people who fail to take money off me, you know, because they don't take the details correctly or they. You know, it gets put through to someone's voicemail who's not there or they just don't know, you know, they don't know what they're doing on the phone. So it's a, it's a really kind of simple exercise to get people to reflect on what's actually happening to normal people, you know, not fundraisers, mm -hmm. to normal people when they contact the charity. And, um, and sometimes we don't, we, don't, um, we don't realize that. So I always encourage, like, clients and anyone I, I work with, I always encourage them to, like, try sending an email to their own organization, mm -hmm. get someone to phone their own organization, and just reflect and think, is that the experience I want my, you know, amazing donors that we're always saying are amazing? Is that the experience I want them to go through? And us usually it isn't. But it's a nice, quick way or a nice, like, really in-your-face way of showing people that it's like, oh, my God, that's awful. That's not what I want said on the phone at all. But it's, it's fun as well. And we give away lots of money. We get people in the audience to, to match my gift. And sometimes it goes up to hundreds of um, pounds or euro to the charity. And it's fun. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And I, I guess it gets people to think about how to make sure that they have not just buy-in from the rest of the organization, but this notion of everyone being a fundraiser and everybody yeah. like having some uh, customer service skills, I guess, Absolutely. for want of a better phrase. Absolutely. And, that, you know, it's really, um, it's a contentious phrase sometimes that everyone's a fundraiser because I think people think we're saying everyone should be asking, which is not mm. necessarily the case, but everyone has a role in how your organization is perceived. And I mean, I did a blog post on... Um, how finance managers are messing up 
our fundraising. I used to work in finance, so I, I'm allowed to say it. Some of my best friends are finance managers. Um, but they're always awful to deal with. No, they're not not always. Most of them are awful to deal with. And they, you know, they're really awkward and they're really, you know, they don't put the customer first because they don't really have customers. And so if, God forbid, any of our donors happen to talk to the finance person, which very often we do when we do those phone calls, it's always the worst experience because mm-hmm. finance people have no communication skills most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. These um, are the so views it, of it Simon thing. and Simon only. <laughs> so it's like... Um, I mean, the point is like members of the public, they're interacting with our charities all the time, but not just with our fundraisers. They're interacting with the CEO, they're interacting with finance people, they're interacting with the receptionist. And if those people aren't giving a good impression, then it has um, it has a negative impact on whether the person will go on to donate or whether, you know, a year or two down the road, they think this is this is my go to charity or whether they're just like, yeah, whatever, that they were a real mm. pain in the ass to deal with. Um, and I think we forget about that sometimes. We, we we forget that we have to manage all these people around our organizations so that they behave how we want them to behave, I guess. So what are your suggestions or, or in your experience, what works well? What I usually say to people is to, first of all, treat your coworkers, treat the staff and your board and everyone in the organization. Yeah, we treat them like humans, but we also have to treat them like like a segment on our database. And we really have to have like a journey for them. You know, we have to think about, okay, what am I, what am I communicating to them? How am I, um, how am I encouraging them to like fundraising? How am I encouraging them to do stuff for us? How am I keeping them aboard? What what stories am I feeding them? Um, And so we have to, you know, not just expect that people are going to fundraise for us. You know, they have more important things to do and, and it's not why they got into it. But we have to kind of nurture them and look after them so that they want to do stuff for us. And that role can be different. It might be asking for money. It might be fundraising. It might be feeding stories to us as fundraisers. It might be doing interviews. It might be referring, you know, wealthy service users who are interested in donating, whatever it is, they they have a role in that. And so we have to kind of educate them, but also like market to them, mm-hmm. you know, it's this, this idea of like internal marketing where we have to encourage them uh, to be what we want them to be. Mm-hmm when you start thinking of them like that, it actually becomes a bit easier, you know, realizing that they're not just going to defer to you. They're not going to automatically help fundraising because why would they? And we have to kind of respect that. I think there is a misunderstanding that that fundraising is about literally just asking for money though, isn't it? People do, do associate it just with the ask as opposed to the relationship building stuff. I did a workshop for a small charity at their staff conference a few weeks ago. It was around community fundraising. They're a grassroots organization they don't really do any fundraising like that at the moment so my opening question was who here is a fundraiser and like nobody put their hand up and then I was like who here builds relationships based on trust and empathy they were like they all put their hands up who here is like passionate about the work of the organization they all kept their hands up and I was like you've got the skills to be a fundraiser because that's what it is getting this this notion that re- that fundraising is about relationships as opposed to making the ask. Yeah, that's a really nice exercise. And and it is it's like usually what's holding the rest of the organization back from fundraising is they think it's uh cold calling, they think it's intruding, they mm. think it's like pushing people. But actually what it's about is just kind of connecting the outside world to the inside world and if you can if you can work with them to feed stories to the public, if you can work with them to like reach new people and meet new people then the fundraising follows and i think if you can 
like we can educate the rest of our organization that's what we're what we're trying to do i remember um a friend of mine saying that when she started as a fundraiser she she struggled to get stories from the rest of this organization they they really didn't trust her and then by the time she was pushing out stories in her newsletter and she was getting them out there about the organization a year or two later staff were coming up to her being like how come you never asked me for my stories how can you never like <laughs> yeah. try and tap into me and she was like well i had been and no one would do it but yeah. so you have to kind of win them over and show them you have to teach them what good fundraising is yeah it's not just shaking a bucket in the rain it's not just picking up the phone and annoying a business it is that relationship stuff that you always talk about and that's our job as fundraisers is to manage people so they understand that i think mm. yeah it's kind of culture of fundraising i'm gonna have a little rant now shall i shall i do that yeah, About yeah. My, i love a, i love a good rant a little bugbear of mine is when fundraisers yeah. say I've raised X amount of money. Yeah. Like they add up every money that every bit of money that's ever come into them or their team, and they say that this is what they've raised. Do you hate that? I hate it. Yeah, I really why? do. Tell, tell because me why. so a client of mine had some money come in the other week from a yeah. bid that I wrote, and I was like, oh, I should do like I should do the self promotion thing like everybody does on twitter yeah. and linkedin and be like oh i'm so thrilled that i've got this <laughs> this charity yeah. some money hashtag, hashtag blessed yeah <laughs> and like it is actually really quite transformational for them it's their first funding from from a foundation um nice but i was like it's not i i haven't actually done that do you know what i mean they've developed this program and I've sort of supported them to think about it a bit deeper. But they've got these amazing skills to go and deliver surgical training in sub-Saharan Africa. Do you know what I mean? They've got this, like, shit-hot researcher who's developed this amazing monitoring and evaluation program. And, yeah. like, I helped them to think about that, and I wrote the bid. But to say that I brought them in a load of money, I just, I'm just not comfortable with it. Yeah, really? Yeah, I get it. I mean, I thought it was more kind of the the counting up every euro, every pound kind of thing, which is a bit, you know, maybe a little bit naff. I see what you're saying. Um, that's that's maybe you're maybe more selfless than the rest of us. I think it's like I'd ra I'd rather see everyone take credit rather than everyone being so humble that they don't take credit. So yeah, yeah it's not it's not all you, but you definitely had a role in it, and you should be taking some of that credit. You should be taking like. 20% of the money and adding it to your total. <laughs> right, that's the benchmark. Is that the yeah. benchmark? I think we should put that out there. That's an, that's an interesting bugbear, though. I, know, I hadn't really fixated on it, but it's an interesting one. So tell us about a few other top tips that you have for smaller organisations. Oof. Um, I mean, there's obviously so much, and they can be so different, and... and um, but there's usually a few common things that connect them. Um, I mean, I think I think like one of the big things holding small charities back when I start working with them, a lot of them kind of compare themselves to the bigger bigger charities or bigger fundraising yeah. programs, um, and they think that's the way to do it. Um, so you know they'll see like. Um, you know, celebrity ambassadors, they'll see, you know, fancy TV ads, they'll see kind of high budget stuff and they'll aspire to that. Um, but obviously, you know, bigger charities have gotten to that point usually because they've exhausted a lot of their other networks or, you know, a lot of the easy wins. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, so you, what you find is small charities 
you know, trying to make the whole world notice them and the whole world care about them and trying to be big scale as opposed to like really bringing it back to the core and looking at who's in their who's in their circles who's around them who's already mm. interested in them and it's funny that they usually um they have this network who who've been around them and been with them for years and loves them and they've never asked them for money and so they're spending instead they're spending lots of time and money trying to trying to find new people and educate new people when they already have this core base here who've never been converted and that that seems to be a big turning thing, you know. Whenever you're working with a small charity, once they kind of uh, embrace that, the money starts to come in because they um, because people are waiting to be asked or you know ready to be asked. Mm. Um, and it's just much more efficient than just trying to bring in all these cold people who've never heard of them. So I think I think that kind of feeds into a lot of the work I do with small charities. What you know, just that premise of actually changing who your target is changing who you know why they why they interact with you already and just changing the mm -hmm. messaging and then we just work work to actually convert them into donors or increase their donations i find that a lot of smaller organizations compare themselves to the larger charities as an example a lot of people talk about wanting to have a product like macmillan's coffee morning but actually, I listened back to the recording of the community fundraising panel that Helen Trenchard brought together for the Institute of Fundraising Convention last year. And on that panel was Chris Farrell, who was recently chief executive of Cavendish Cancer Care in Sheffield. But prior to that, he um, had quite a significant role at Macmillan building the Coffee Morning event. And he essentially said that Coffee Morning is a massive marketing campaign. A lot of larger organisations, and I don't mean this to bash them because they are relevant across the whole of the UK, however, a lot of larger organisations use community fundraising to be locally relevant and with this specific charity in mind, they were set up specifically to support people within the Yorkshire region. So, you know, they should really own that. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a weird one because it's like the big ones are trying to replicate what the small ones have which is that kind of connection to the local community. And then the small ones are desperately trying to be like big ones, you know? And I think when you understand your place, fundraising becomes um, a lot easier. So, I mean, I mean, in, in terms of that, like that coffee morning thing, you know, I've, I've worked with a, a couple of charities and actually I sat on the board of a charity where they were comparing um, an event they wanted to do with one of these flagship events of a big national charity. And um, and you really it's it's really difficult to drill it into them. And it's like, you know, they the reason they the reason it works for them is because they have such a big audience. You know, if you if you have a database of 100,000 people and you ask them to do coffee mornings, then then it, it might be worthwhile. But if you only have a database of 10 people, it's um, you know, there's a numbers game there. And so your approach has to be um, quite different. It has to kind of take that into account. Um, but again, we we only see like we're talking about parenting. You only see the um, the success. You only see it from the outside, and and you and it seems a lot easier as opposed to understanding what Macmillan and, and people like that have gone through to get to that point, um, and what they're still going through. The amount of you know the percentage of people who don't do those coffee mornings for them is huge, um, and so yeah, it's it's a weird one. It's like I suppose it's like life, isn't it? And, and parenting, comparing comparing ourselves to. Um, to others when that's you know you got to just do what's right for your own wow that's deep that is deep yeah 
<laughs> should we should we touch on corporates for smaller charities? Oh, okay, yeah. I teach a lot of corporate fundraising and I, I run a lot of corporate fundraising sessions. And um, the truth about corporate fundraising is I hate it. Um, and it's, it's, well, I hate companies and I hate the, the whole process between companies donating to, to charities because they're so, it's just so evil and it's so like manipulative and it's, I have so many problems with it. I was like, I kind of got in trouble speaking at a New Zealand conference because I was on a panel and there was like another corporate or there was a corporate talking about how they gave money. And I was, you know, I was trying to be really polite. I wasn't talking about them. I was just talking in general. Like companies give money to us to make money. They they use us for marketing. They use us to motivate their staff. They use us to like cover up all their all the terrible, terrible things they're doing to their staff and to the world. And then um, and then we kind of thank them for it. Um, and I, I just think it's such diff difficult one. And and usually companies are very contradictory with their approach. You know, they give money to these places with one hand, and then on the other hand, they're damaging society and having a negative impact mm. on so many things. And you know, I think um, while corporate fundraising can work for charities, and it you know we have to have it in our mix, I still would like to see a point where, you know, honestly, where companies can't afford to give us money because they're taxed properly. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in tax. I'm a, my, mom, my mom says I love tax. And, um, and I really do. Like, I have a lot of time for tax. And I just think <laughs> if any, if, you know, if you look at the companies who have all this profit and all this money to give away, if you look a little bit deeper, almost always they're underpaying their staff. Yeah. They're dumping shit in the river. They're like messing with trade unions. They're doing all these terrible things. Whereas the companies that live their values and live well, they usually can't afford to give away money because they're doing things ethically. Um, and that's wow. maybe not the angle you wanted. Um, I mean, but besides that, I love corporate Unexpected angle. <laughs> uh, it's, really, it's really difficult because I teach like corporate fundraising and, and throughout the session there's a few bits where i'm like look this is what a corporate's going to tell you this is what they're this is what they're actually trying to do and um and i'm pretty cynical about it but it, it also makes you a better corporate fundraiser when you realize that companies aren't giving you money out of the goodness of their own hearts mm. um because they don't have hearts <laughs> they have to they have to legally make a profit and so you when you realize that that you have to make business sense to a company as opposed to tugging on their heartstrings, suddenly you become a better corporate fundraiser because you're sending in proposals that really make sense for them to go ahead with. Um, but yeah, generally I hate, I hate um, capitalism. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Sorry. Didn't mean to turn this into a big socialist podcast. God but... damn it. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that was unexpected. What, so, what yeah. do you think of companies? Do you love cor corporate fundraising? Is that one of your favorites? Um, Are you being sarcastic? No, I think I'm. I'm sort of with you with most of what you said from a personal perspective. I think for charities, I think there is a way that they can work together pretty well. An example being, I like set up corporate fundraising at Friends of the Earth. Some of the stuff that you've just been saying was pretty, pretty light in terms of some of the feedback I got from my colleagues. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I went from I went from Friends of the Earth, and then and then a couple of jobs afterwards. I was at Toynbee Hall heading up the fundraising team, 
so Toynbee Hall is social welfare charity based in Tower Hamlet. So it's, it's in the same borough as Canary Wharf, but there's mm-hmm. like the, the levels of deprivation and inequality and poverty are like off the scale. So basically most of the community is living in poverty, but the al- average salary is like 80 grand. It's just yeah. nuts. And so um, we didn't really do corporate fundraising. So one of the things I was doing was looking at how we can basically tap into the to the money that's in, in Canary Wharf. Anyway, so we did this financial program that was really great program. And long story short, I secured, I secured 20% of the funding for, <laughs> from, um, from JP Morgan. And I was thinking, oh, you know, it's a corporate, they're going to be bastards. Like they were yeah. so nice to work with. They were yeah. genuinely like passionate that like the csr people were like genuinely passionate about trying to meet the needs of beneficiaries and monitor the impact and and i know it's because they want more people to be more financially financially literate and have bank accounts and so it benefits them right i get that but you know it's also good for the individuals if you know social mobility all that yeah yeah i mean there's a distinction there because the staff at these places, you know, if you pick out any any person out of a company, generally they're a good they're a good person. You know, they're not setting out each morning to destroy the planet, and they're, you know, they have their nieces and nephews who they who they love and they look after, and they love their parents, and they're you know trying to be nice, and they're struggling to to catch their bus, and they're having all these challenges. But then we put them in an office in a boardroom where they have these restrictions on them to make. JP Morgan or make whoever millions and millions of pounds mm. like they have they have to work within these rules that have been set for them which are to be profitable so so when you meet them on an individual level they do they do care about it and they are good people and they are passionate but then something happens to them where when they sit around as a committee or when they go to their boss or when they do their you know spreadsheets um you know then then charity the CSR program is the first thing to get cut and um, and the CSR program at the end of the day it has to show uh, results for them. Mm. Um, and and usually you know you know this is a bit of a sweeping statement, but it generally holds true. When you look at how much they give away, then you do a quick Google of how much profit they've made, um, and you look at maybe some of the criticisms of the organisation. Like it's just embarrassing. Mm. Um, and it's like you know the one I I show in one of my sessions is like um, it's Boots Boots in Ireland Boots Chemist who have been really, really generous to cancer charities over here. And they've given away like hundreds of thousands and it's like fantastic. And then you look at their profits and they're making like tens of millions every year. Um, and they're just kind of giving the crumbs to this, um, to these charities. So, I mean, I'm not specifically picking on boots, but there's definitely, it's, it's, it's a two, it's a really difficult balance between what we need um, short term to to fund our projects and fix these address these issues versus the actual damage that these companies and the systems they're working in are mm. actually doing to us. And again, I, I you know I'm always afraid of sounding like a communist when I start going on about these things. But I think I think there's there has to be like a healthy cynicism of these of these corporates and what they're going through. And our role as fundraisers or as nonprofits is also to educate back. Mm. And if you, you know, if you're getting loads of money from like Amazon, if Amazon picks you as a charity partner, to use that platform as well to go back to them and say, do you know, one of the ways you can help lift people out of poverty and help the environment and help, you know, um 
uh, underprivileged people is by paying a fair wage, is by actually living the values as opposed to writing a check at the end of the day. Mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, there's there's really good people in these organizations and they, and they should absolutely be applauded for what they want to do, as as all people should. But we also have to push back a little bit on these companies because they, they take advantage of us. So you're learning for your smaller charities. It's about making sure well, that I, you pitch based on their business needs, isn't it? Absolutely. Understand the audience. And yeah, yeah so I mean, I, I, my criticism of companies is maybe for another day. But in terms of working, partnering with companies, yeah, it's about really understanding what they're going through, how they make the decisions, what they're trying to achieve. Um, and, you know, I, I often quote um, my friend Chris Bayless, who's a Canadian fundraiser. And he talks about, you know, when you go to that first meeting with a company, you don't have a proposal, you have a blank piece of paper mm. um, because all you're doing is asking questions and figuring out what are they trying to achieve? Are they trying to get a bigger audience? Mm. Are they trying to prepare their reputation? Are they trying to motivate their staff? And once you have those answers, your proposal gets much, much better because you're proposing exactly what they want as opposed to what we assume they want. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of other brilliant corporate and major donor fundraisers have said exactly that to me, go in listening mode. You don't need to go in with your fancy presentation and all your branding. Go and listen to what they want and ask some clarifying questions. Right, let's talk about conference refreshments. <laughs> Ridiculous recent Twitter thread that it just proper cracked me up. I was sat on my own in the kitchen. My family were all asleep and I was laughing my head off. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing about conference refreshments. So I thought, well, let's sort this out. Let's give some hope to the fundraising sector and event organizers so you've got a lot of experience of talking and attending and, and at, at various conferences across the world you've eaten a lot of conference food basically yeah I, I have had the pleasure of having a lot of conference food i have had the mispleasure of being involved in that twitter argument and i mean it's hard to explain i suppose i mean the main the main argument stemmed out of whether or not there should be meat at conferences which is see it seems like such a ridiculous thing for us to be even wasting time talking about because you wouldn't think it's an important issue mm -hmm. um but what as we found out it's a really really important issue <laughs> for, for for people who like me um, <laughs> who, who no who need who need who meat. need me yeah as part of a balanced um, diet so uh, yeah so i mean i you know i feel like i'm quite I, I'm in quite a fortuitous position because I can see both sides of it, you know, because I am a meat eater, you know, but at the same time, I understand that these conferences are getting a shit ton of meat in a big bucket. Most of it doesn't get eaten and then they bin it and, um, and it's damaging to the environment. It's like raising cows and slaughtering cows for no reason, potentially. And so, you know, if a conference wants to scale back on their meat based refreshments, then I, um, I'm kind of I'm kind of whatever about it. I actually didn't really care about it. I was just so surprised that people were so passionate about it. Yeah, it, it was brilliant. And then I just got caught up in, you know, Twitter Twitter feuds and Twitter fundraising Twitter arguments are quite um quite something. Yeah. Yeah, best avoided. If it's something you care about, I'd say don't engage. Uh yeah, I think I think that's really really good advice. I mean, my approach generally in these feuds is to ask questions. You know, I try to, I try to ask questions and try to understand people's point of view and really, you know, try to get them to talk nonsense because <laughs> the, pe the people who are wrong, if you keep asking them questions, eventually they say stupid things. 
what what's your thoughts on the whole on meatgate you because uh, you're a big meat eater um <laughs> would you no, i'm not oh, no. don't bring me into okay. this <laughs> <laughs> well you brought yourself in actually i think it's really important actually that that the charity sector is leading the way really in these things. I don't think it is at the moment, but I think the IFC taking meat off the menu is actually a really good thing. And if people have dietary requirements, then they should sort those things out or they should take a pack up. Well, that's it. I mean, that's to us, you know, as as uneducated people, you know, as I said, I don't have a diploma in nutrition. But it, for me, it seemed really straightforward that it's like, if you need meat, you make sure you have meat. Like, like I go to IFC, I bring my medication. Yeah, because I know I need my medication. Yeah. And so if you know you're going to be passing out and dying because you haven't had a steak <laughs> since Tuesday, then you need to bring a steak or you need to ring ahead and say... I'll not go, apparently. <laughs> I'll <Yeah>. not go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's that's another way to yeah. deal with it. So, so um, appar- but yeah. apparently a friend of mine was saying um, that... She'd be some, been to some training with the FSI and mm-hmm. the person who was running it like went out and got a meal deal. So like a sandwich, a bag of crisps, a piece of fruit and a drink. And she was like, this is what this is what we should be doing. You shouldn't be spending loads of money on paying to go to conferences for fancy food. <laughs> However, I'm a bit at the other end of the spectrum. Like if I've been sat on a train for two and a half hours to get to London and paid... Mm quite a lot of money to go to a conference like I want to have a good tuck in I feel like maybe people ha- have been having this conversation for years and I've just missed but out because I was just baffled your, the feedback on your website you've got the best feed the testimonials page I've ever seen like when before you were speaking at the uh, the Leeds charity social I was like who is this man and I looked at your website and people care about this stuff like some people said you were brilliant and hilarious some people said you liked the sound of your own voice I like that you put these things on your feedback page and some people are like the coffee should be better and we yeah. need plant-based milk this influences how people take on the information that you're giving them you know I don't begrudge I don't begrudge anyone any of that stuff and if you want me you should be able to get me yeah and I think <laughs> this is the most ridiculous conversation <laughs> right so you're ready for the fun things yeah Uh, sorry I I thought that was fun already so okay I want you to tell me I mean you can sing it if you want a song that you feel epitomizes fundraising or the challenges that fundraisers face yeah um I mean that's hard it's really hard I was thinking like you know when people talk about fundraising songs all the time and it's usually around money and stuff like that but the the first one that comes to mind is I think um and actually, this isn't particularly fun, but there was a there's a, a video I used to show in one of my sessions, um, which was an ad, and it had that song on it, um, "Everything I Own" by Bread. Oh, I love um, that song. Do you, do you know that song? Yeah, oh, good, of course yeah. I do. Um, it's like brought and, up but, on bread. Were <laughs> <laughs> you really? Because I I'd actually I'm not sure I'd ever heard the song until I saw this Werther's original ad, and the Werther's <laughs> original ad is um it's all these like interactions between a father with between different fathers and their sons it's an it's an amazing ad uh and i post it on on twitter from time to time it's an amazing ad and it made when i first saw it um my son was like maybe two and um and i was still my dad had died a few years earlier and i was still kind of dealing or still am dealing with that 
And the first time I saw that ad, I was at my computer at my desk and I started crying. And so I started showing it and in um, sessions um, to show like how emotionally, how, how much of an emotional impact we can have on people. And even now when I see it and I show it in sessions, sometimes I'll start crying in sessions, um, which is not good. But it's for Werther's original. And it's like the dumbest suite that I don't really know who likes it, who's buying it. It's like so no emotion in it. There's nothing There's nothing gracious in the Werther's original. Um, I'm probably going to get the pro Werther's um, <laughs> people on my case now. But but my point was, we as nonprofits, we have this like these beautiful stories, these like mo like heartbreaking stories, these triumphant stories, these lovely stories, and a lot of our ads are flatter. You know, a lot of our communications are flatter than Werther's originals. So for me, that's like a big fundraising song because I still hear that song and it's like really has an impact on me. You know, really does something emotionally to me. And it, and if, you know, it, it's, it makes me want to, like it makes me want to hug my son. It makes me want to do more stuff with my son. It makes me want to go back and say things to my dad. And, and it's just like, it's, it's so powerful. And I think that's, it's just like a reminder for me of the power that, we we can have through words through video through music through through just communications we have all this power and a lot of the time we waste it because we talk about like meet at conferences or we talk about you know or we talk about what year our organization was founded or whatever um as opposed to really tapping into something that's quite beautiful but yeah i, I love that song it's such a it's an amazing song you need to get the album the best of bread have you got it? Yeah, I'm a, I must get that. But no, I think that's the only bread song I have. And um, I don't really know what else they did. But that's interesting that you're a bread fan. Because you don't really hear anything about them. Like, I'm the youngest of four. so And I think I was a surprise baby as well. So I'm quite a bit younger than the other three. I was born early 80s. And I was, like, brought up on Karen Carpenter. Real yeah. easy listen. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, all that stuff is so sad because they were all so... They were all struggling, but they were all trying yeah, to sing like tragic happy songs. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, bread. I'm sure if people are into bread. They know bread is really big. But it's like I wonder if they struggle because of the internet. And when people Google bread, <laughs> they just get loads of websites about bread, <laughs> and so they, people aren't Maybe. people aren't finding them. Maybe. Like these days, if you start a band, it has to be like. It can't be a common word or phrase. Oh, my God. I met somebody today who went to a gig last night, and I feel like a real old person now because I, I haven't been out for, like, seven years or something. I was like, oh, what did you see? He was like, oh, I went to see a psychedelic porn crumpet. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it looks like. It's just yeah. too confusing. Yeah. You know, you know when you look at, like, music festival posters now, and every year, you know less and less names on it. Yeah. And then, and now it's like you might know the Cure, but then every other band is like, "Oh my God, I've never heard of that person or those people. What is yeah. that?" It's um, I don't care. I'm like, I'm really embracing getting older. I love um, I'm not interested in this stuff. Same as Strictly. I started watching Strictly this year. Have you? Yeah, it's pretty good entertainment. Yeah, but the only Is person really? I knew on it was um, Annika Rice, Challenge Annika. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my mum and sister would watch it and they were telling me Annika Rice. She was and, appalling. Uh, it was amazing. Well, she's not, you know, I love Annika. And, um, but w when you used to watch her run in um, Challenge Annika, she wasn't very agile. 
she wasn't like a very um dancey kind of person she didn't strike me as a dancey person mm. Um, she's not she's wonderful she's not yes no okay she's not she's terrible anyway final question is there a book person or ethos that has inspired your work my family has obviously had a huge impact to me in the way I was raised and their approach to um other people and generosity I feel blessed to be in this sector like a hashtag blessed I feel like grateful that I'm surrounded by people who do inspire me you know whenever you talk to a fundraiser or you talk to someone in the nonprofit sector, nine times out of 10, they're going to be really wonderful people. And just they're, you know, they're working, they're underpaid and they're overworked and they're getting shit, but they're still like putting their head down and trying to get things done. So, you know, I, I hit a wall every once in a while and I burn out every once in a while and I have lots of mental issues, but I find like just checking in with other fundraisers, other people around me, I find really inspiring. I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I go to conferences because you meet all these other fundraisers. Mm. But, you know, the usual crew that I spend a lot of time with, people like Nikki Bell and Jen Love and John Lepp and people who just have really big hearts but are still kind of cynical and fun. I mean, they just kind of inspire me, I think. What would you have answered to that question? Oh, nobody's ever asked me that. I've never thought it's about it. It's a tough it. question, but when you, when you wrote it, you must have something must have popped into your head. Nope, got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think that seems really unfair then to ask it. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Probably similar, similar sort of stuff. Like the way that you're brought up, and some of the things that some family circumstances that have kind of influenced how I feel about certain things. You know, like yeah. family feud kind of things. And then I found I found yeah. myself working with a mediation charity briefly a few years ago when I was working for NCVO, uh-huh. and they were just like this small group of people who were dealing with really important stuff, gang violence, racism on estates and things like that. And they would get people talking again. I guess it's like people that do that kind of work, I find really inspirational and it sort of trivializes the stuff that goes on in your own life. That's cool. And then obviously when you have children, it kind of, kind of changes everything and you sort of see the joy in little things that you had taken for granted. I really try and um, notice the beauty of things when we're out and about. Even if I'm feeling really grumpy and like I just want to kick them out of the car, I'll be like, wow, look at that yeah. amazing view and look at the sunshine coming through the trees and the beautiful colours. Yeah. And now when we go out, my little boy Ralph is like, mummy, that view is just beautiful. <laughs> and I'm like, uh... oh, I'm kind of glad. I want to instill the joy in the small things in him because life can be really shit and difficult can't it but if you can go outside and look up and think wow I'm really lucky to live on this street with on street parking and it's very busy if you can take (laughs) joy in that (laughs) then yeah there is that feeling with your kids of like discovering stuff again because it's like the first time you discover stuff it's like really um hard to notice it because mm. you're you're in the midst of it and you don't really appreciate it and maybe you're too young whereas now it's like when my son discovers stuff it's really joyful because mm. you can actually understand that it's being discovered you can see the process of it being discovered mm. and it's just there's something really like magical about witnessing it or doing it again parenting is really really awful sometimes <laughs> and really difficult um, but but a lot of the time it's just like it's so much fun just seeing like what what they discover and what they think of and what they ask and it's just I love it cool 
All right. Thanks for taking the time to speak to me. Thank you. It's really nice. Do you know this is the first podcast I've ever been invited on? Oh, God. Lovely to see you. Lovely to catch up you again. You too. These are the three key takeaways from my chat with Simon. First of all, think about how you're developing your organization's understanding of fundraising. That fundraising is about relationship building as opposed to solely making the ask. So have a think about your internal marketing and your tactics to engage people across the organization so that they can help you and the organization by building relationships on your behalf. Secondly, In terms of corporate fundraising, make sure that you understand the company's objectives so that you can build stronger proposals for them. I'd caveat this, however, with understanding your own value as an organisation. It's actually quite a complex area and there are a lot of ethical considerations to take into account as well. I wrote a blog about corporate fundraising last year, which might be of interest to you. You can check that out at bethcrackles.com. And finally, for small organisations in particular, don't compare yourself to the biggies. You are locally relevant and you should own that. I hope that you've enjoyed listening. If you did, please share it and I'd love to have your feedback.